0: Hello and welcome to the I Can Community Church podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. I Can Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. So I'm going to be reading from Genesis 35, verse 18. When you could see it, can see it. Would you say Amen? So it reads, and as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And and I guess some of you, when when you heard me talking about what I'm going to talk about you look at the scriptures oh they got the scripture wrong haven't they look they just <laughs> got some verse out of the old testament but actually the scripture is right and um, um, in its context it describes the birth of Jacob's last son and his mother died in childbirth Uh, as a result of giving birth she died and she attempted to name him and she named him Benoni Benoni so here's what Benoni means we're going to pray in a minute here's what Benoni means it means the son of my sorrow the son of my sorrow And Jacob refused to grant his dying wife her last wish and said, No, no, he will not be Benoni. He will be Benjamin, which means the son of power, the son of power, the son of sorrow. The son of power. So we are going to pray as we begin this series and I'll announce what it's about as we go. So lift your hand up to the father. Amen. Sweet Holy Spirit of the living Christ. We need you more than ever before and more than anything else we need your presence your power your word with clarity precision accuracy that it reach targets in our heart and transform us equip us enable us develop us stretch us cause us to grow in this series and this we have prayed in jesus christ's name amen So names in the ancient world, certainly in the patriarchal period, which is what we're reading in Genesis. The patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And when we read their stories, we're looking at a period in history, the patriarchal period. In the patriarchal uh, period, um, naming a child was always a sacred and spiritual um, ceremony and action. So, children were never named, um, you know, based on the fashion of the day. Um, They were named um, usually, usually uh, based on a revelation of the child's destiny. Uh, A father would name the child. So, the name itself would be a prophecy. And... Uh, as you unpack the name, uh, typically a uh, God, God's name will be in the name and there will be uh, a prophecy in it. And uh, and this was the point of naming a child. Now, of course, your name is your is your self identification. OK, your self identification, your identity is your name. So if your name is called out, you're like, that's me, okay? And if someone asks, who are you? You tell them your name. This is your identification. It's not only your self-identification as in what you call yourself, but it's also what other people call you. Because fundamentally, other people are going to call you what you call yourself. So introduce yourself to someone. Hi, my name's Kaz. You know, if they turn around and say, okay, then Bill, nice to meet you. Say, Hold on now, you got that wrong. My name is Kaz. All right, Bob. <laughs> okay? There's something, something going wrong here. So we expect people to call us what we call ourselves. And so when the patriarchs were naming children, they were instilling in them a sense of wholeness. A sense of who they are. And this is partly why we see patriarchal names being changed by God himself. Okay? So, Abraham was not always Abraham. He was initially Abram. Abram. And then God called him Abraham because of the meaning. There was a meaning. The meaning to Abraham is the father of Many or multitudes. So God wanted Abraham to think of himself a certain way. Speak of himself a certain way. And insist that other people think of him and speak of him that same way. So God changed his name. Uh, I also want you to notice that God changed his name before he changed his circumstance. This is really, really important. Uh, Before Abraham... Had one child. Before Isaac. Before Isaac. God insisted that Abraham call himself the father of multitudes. Call yourself the father of multitudes. Yeah, but there's... I don't have any children. Call yourself the father of multitudes. Call yourself what I call you. Don't call yourself what they call you. And and it was after... Abraham's name change, that his circumstances changed. Now, we don't see Isaac getting a name change because God was involved in the naming of Isaac. Okay? But we do see Jacob later getting a name change from Jacob to Israel. Because the name Jacob actually means uh, supplanter, which which is quite a shady identity to carry and he got his shady identity from the fact that that he was a twin he was a, he was a second born of of twins but the bible said that he was holding on to esau's heel okay almost trying to pull him back and to get ahead and his parents named him after that particular experience, so he carried that name uh, for most of his life for much of his life, and he actually lived out that character for much of his life. He was shady he was uh, he was untrustworthy, he was crafty, and he he would get what he wanted uh, by any means necessary this was. Jacob's style. It's no wonder that his own children, most of them, were crafty. These are the same people that sold Joseph into captivity because they were raised by a crafty man who thought of himself as a crafty Used car salesman. No offense to any used car salespeople. Okay? Just a metaphor, right? He saw himself that way. He behaved that way. His children behaved that way. Uh, So, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel. And his name was changed after he wrestled with the angel all night. The angel said, Your name will not be Jacob anymore. It will be Israel because as a prince you have power with God and with men and you have prevailed. Wow. I don't remember that. It's amazing how God can break into your life and say things about you that you have no evidence for or witness or experience in. But here's God speaking of you in such majestic language. As a prince, you have power with God and with men and you have prevailed. God later reiterates this to Jacob. So he doesn't only get revelation of who he is. He gets confirmation of who he is. And he now knows that he is Israel. And he knows the difference that his identity, his sense of identity has made on his life. Because when Jacob's name was changed, it was partly the result of his final struggle with the, the fruit of his folly. The fact that he had swindled his brother out of the birthright, obtained almost everything he obtained through trickery, craftiness, and deceit. It all caught up with him. And that wrestling match was as much him wrestling with himself as it was him wrestling with God. But he came out of it with a new identity and with a new identity, his life changed. His life began to change. And that's not a surprise because it is, it is true that you will never consistently behave in a way that's incompatible with the person you believe you are. So if your sense of identity is that you are a crook, I am a crook, then uh, you cannot sustain the straight life because in your head you're a crook. And uh, so God had to change his identity and he understood the power of labels. This Jacob understood what labels can do to your life, how labels can mess up your life in a big way. And how a new name changed his life in a big way. So when Rachel, who was dying, and Rachel was the love of his life. But while Rachel was dying, she gave birth to Benjamin. And she named him Benoni. Benoni, the son of my sorrow. Now, try to imagine with me what it would be like growing up with the name Benoni. Okay? So, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. What's your name? Oh, Benoni. Benoni. Sorrow. How did you get that? What's that about? Well, I killed my mom, apparently. So now you're going to have to carry this stigma with you, this shame, this guilt, the rest of your life. What she actually gave him, I don't think she did it maliciously. Uh, or intentionally to to warp his development, but she was just reacting and responding to her own pain. And because she was reacting and responding to her own pain, she projected it onto somebody else, not realizing that had he embraced that label, it would have stunted his Personal, spiritual, intellectual, professional growth in every conceivable way. It would have dwarfed him in terms of destiny, and it would have crippled his ability to be a fully functioning contributor to the cause of the kingdom. She didn't think that. She was in pain. She was in pain, and when people are in pain, they're not thinking. Does that makes sense? They're not thinking. They're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. When a person is in pain, they actually develop a sense of entitlement that says, listen, you need to be thinking about me. And whatever you're dealing with or going through is none of my business. I am what's important right now because I am in pain. Yes. Rachel is in pain and she projects. She names him. Based on her pain, but her father who knows the power of labels, who himself was delivered from a label that had worked against him, that had led him down the wrong path, he said, no, no, we're not going to call him Benoni. We're going to call him Benjamin, which is, you know, Ben in Hebrew is son, Jamin is power, Ben Son, no nice sorrow said we're going to call him the son of power. Because I want him to grow up thinking of himself as powerful. That's what I want him to do. I want him to think of himself a certain way. I want him to talk about himself a certain way. I want him to develop the confidence The confidence that comes with calling yourself the son of power. (laughs) Because because if he's going to be successful in life, he's going to need confidence. Confidence. Because insecurity or the lack of confidence attracts certain bugs, parasites, diseases. It attracts certain kinds of people into your life who are going to prey on your insecurity. So a father wants you to be free of insecurity and and just to just to perfect the metaphors here very important we perfect the metaphors here. the truth is that society is the mother of us all. That's right. Uh, society is our mother. In the sense that we were raised by our circumstances, our our families, our community, our economic status and brackets. We are always reflecting the environment that raised us. That's the mother. But actually your father is God. And sometimes your mother will name you. Come on now, I'm not talking about male, female, mothers, fathers. I'm talking about the fact that we are products of our environment, which is a type of the mother. But we are only truly known by our father who is God. Which means that at some point you will have to choose between the identity given to you by your environment and the revelation of who you are given to you by God himself. Society will put labels on you that are disempowering and can only produce a dysfunctional person. But God knows who you really are. So Rachel says you are Benoni, but Jacob says you are Benjamin. Your identity therefore must come from God uh, must come from God if you're going to grow and develop confidence. Everyone say confidence. It, it, it is the most attractive feature in human beings. Okay? It's the most. There, you know, I don't know what, what, what brands there are in the world today that are designed to beautify uh, people. I don't know all the names of the brands. But none of them can compete with confidence. Woo! (laughs) They just can't compete with confidence. And there is no effective mask to hide the lack of confidence. Okay? So you can create a mask designed to say, I'm confident. But within a few moments of engagement, we will soon see. So, your father wants you to grow up thinking of yourself a certain way, speaking of yourself a certain way, with a certain uh, self image. And this is pretty important. And it's, then uh, I'm getting to relationships in a minute, just with building a case here. Uh, if you think of the development of a child and child psychology, right? Uh, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but but I can tell you this, that, that if you tell the child when they make a mistake, you're stupid, you fool, are you an idiot, what's wrong with you, are you thick? If you do that to a child, actually, you are putting labels on them because you are the authority figure in, in their life. You are placing labels on them that will become self-fulfilling prophecies. Because the moment they accept what you say and they actually embrace this as identity, then, then they will start to expect to fail. They'll start to expect to get things wrong. If on the other hand, you see the mistake and you say, look, you're bright, you're intelligent... You're better than that. You're not now condoning the error, but what you're doing is instilling an identity in them that says, actually, I now know when I'm falling below the standard because my father, my mother have set the standard for me. I know that I'm intelligent, I know that I'm bright. I know that I'm blessed. I know that I'm beautiful, which, is, which are the kinds of things that really need to be said to us if we're going to, to, to know when we're off key, when we are below standard. And this is really important. It's, it's like this is I'm going somewhere relatively deep today. It's important because the, the self-esteem movement has two sides to it. One side I don't agree with and the other side I obviously do agree with. I'm going to try and bring you over onto the other side because there is a doctrine of self-esteem that says everything that I just said that it's important that you Call yourself what God calls you. It's important that you see yourself powerful. It's important that you love yourself. It's important that you value yourself. It's important that you look after yourself because if you can't look after yourself, you can't look after somebody else. If you can't love you, you can't love somebody else. If you can't value you, you can't value somebody else. And therefore, you what you're expected to do is, is look in the mirror and say, I love Love you. I got a problem with that. Y'all ain't gonna help. The problem is that sometimes we're not honest. Because in reality, you wouldn't have an issue if you really loved everything you saw in the mirror. You don't actually love everything you see in the mirror. You must understand that God loves you doesn't mean that he loves everything about you. That's well, pretty deep, isn't it? God loves me, right? A parent loves the, loves the children. If the child does something quite out, dangerous, reckless, what's the parent going to do? The parent's going to differentiate Between the behavior and the person. And the parent's going to say, that's bad behavior. You are a good person. Does that make sense? So they're going to endorse the goodness of the person, but they're going to deal with the badness of the behavior. So since God deals with me, that's how God deals with me. God's love for me doesn't mean he condones everything I think, say, and do. It's very, very important to make a distinction that God's love for you does not mean everything you think, say, and do, he just loves it. Because that wouldn't be true now, would it? Otherwise, he wouldn't chasten, he wouldn't rebuke, he wouldn't try to correct, he wouldn't perfect. If he simply loved everything about me, then, then 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 actually there's no room for me to grow. And the room I need in my house is the room to improve. Amen. So once you have room to improve, then you're even saying there's things about me that are falling below the standard, the, the, the ideal that my identity sets for me. I don't want to fall below it. And if I am falling below it, I don't like that. It's a difference between I don't like that and I don't like me. Very, very important that you draw a little line and say, look, I don't like that. I love me, but I don't like that. And the reason why you have to make that distinction and not fall into the one side that says, I love me, and because I love me, I love that, is because then what you drag into a relationship is, look, if you love me, just accept everything about me, how I am, yeah? I got moods, I don't like this, and I got this problem, but look, if you love me, you just accept everything. And I'm sorry to wake you up. No. No. No no one. No one. No one has to put up with your everything. So because I love you, I'm supposed to love everything you're doing. If you don't put a distinction between who you are and what you do that allows you to love who you are and not like everything you do, then you have no room to improve. And you start expecting from other people for them to fully love everything about yourself that you don't even like. So have you ever noticed that God gave Adam a job and a house before giving him a wife? There's a reason for the order. God gives him a job and a house, a place, (laughs) (laughs) digs, you know. A flat, whatever. God gives him a job and a place before giving him a wife. And I know that how we preach this typically is to say, men, you have no business trying to marry someone if you ain't got a job and if you ain't got nowhere to live. And that's that's how we deal with it normally, right? That's normally what you hear, okay? Uh, that if you're going to... Uh, ladies, if you're going to be attracted to a man, first you need to find out what he does for a living, and number two, you need to find out where he lives. I once was sent a really funny video one time of a pastor counseling a young man and the young man said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I want to get married. I'm ready to get married now. I want you to pray for me. He said, That's all right, son. I'll pray for you. Tell me, what do you do right now for a living? He said, Well, I'm unemployed right now, Pastor. He said, Okay, fine. Tell me, where are you living right now? He said, Well, I live with my mom. He said, Okay, that's fine. And what's your, amb- uh, are you studying anything? I said, oh, No, I'm not studying at the moment. I'm not, I'm not studying. I'm not working. I'm just living at my mom. He said, Okay, so what's your ambition, son? What's your ambition? He said, Well, I don't, I don't really have any ambition, really, Pastor. I just feel like it's time for me to get married. Would you pray for me? And the pastor said, okay, son, I'll pray for you. He said, Father, I pray that you will save all of the young women of the church from this lazy, worthless. (laughs) Save them, Lord. huh?" (laughs) So it's, it's powerful, okay? It's powerful. But let's take it to a deeper level. Let's take it to a deeper level. What is fundamentally being said here is that irresponsible people are not ready for a relationship irresponsible people are not ready for a relationship. God will give you responsibilities first before he gives you a relationship. Now, come on, we already know this from other passages of the scripture that he says, if you're faithful in little, then I'm going to give you a lot. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing more more that God can give you than a whole human being in a covenant relationship for the rest of your life that's called much so before he gives you much he need to see what you're going to be doing with a little wish i had some help up in here today you don't you don't start (laughs) you don't start with much you start with little you learn to manage little and god gives you a little bit more so responsibility is really the lesson that's being taught here in the genesis that actually irresponsible people do not make for lasting relationships therefore when you're looking at and considering a relationship, start, start somewhere else. I'm going to challenge you today to start somewhere else. It's going to sound really insignificant. It's going to sound so unrelated for some of you because some of you just want me to dive in to all the juicy stuff that we deal with in February. But I'm not diving in today. I'm going to start somewhere. I'm going to start with your bedroom. Oh, you want to get married? Oh, that's nice. Can you organize your bedroom? I don't see what the relationship is. Oh, there is a relationship, you see, between responsibility and lasting relationships. And when you understand that there is a difference between who you are in essence and who you have become by ego, who you are in principle and who you have become by by practice, then you can love who you are and fully reject some of the things that you do, which gives you room to improve, which now makes you a responsible person to say, actually... I don't need to drag this into someone else's life. I can deal with this because I don't even like this. And if I don't like this, why am I insisting that somebody else like it? I'm going to do some work on me before I'm going to ask someone else to try to do that work on me. And I'm going to start with little things that I can manage. So, your bedroom. Somebody said, okay, Bishop. I've I've passed that test. Okay, your kitchen. Somebody said, well... (laughs) You know, I just, I just, you know, it's not my style, Bishop. My style is I just let everything pile up to one time. And then one time I just deal with everything one time. I just kind of do, I do this and I do, this, and I do these other things. <laughs> but let me tell you, <laughs> you see, God has to teach you responsibility. You actually know when you're close to finding your soulmate because a spirit of responsibility comes upon you and you stop acting selfishly as if you're the only person in the world that matters and you start acting responsibly and you start feeling yourself because an irresponsible person is simply not ready. Okay, let's 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 okay, you pass the bedroom test, you pass the kitchen test. So so let's watch this one now. How in the world is a man going to love you more than he loves his mother at the beginning? Meaning she has already done for him everything you're planning to do with exceptions. (laughs) Let's get that straight. (laughs) Let's get that straight. (laughs) Exceptions to the rule. But she has been there for him. And helped him when he couldn't help himself. She has cleaned him, fed him, clothed him. She's done it all. And therefore, you need to know that how a man treats his mother is a good clue as to how he's going to treat you. Oh, God, help me now, Jesus. Some say, yeah, Bishop, you're already saying that because you don't know my mom. Granted, there are exceptions to the rules because dysfunction is not based on an age, you know. When someone says to you, well, I've never had a good relationship with my father, they're actually telling you something about how who you are in this spectrum, who you're competing with. You're competing with this person that I don't like. You look like him to a certain degree, and you're going to have to prove to me that you're not him. So what's happening now is we're carrying our identity into the situation. Okay, let's 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 get to the meat of this. You need a good relationship with yourself. A good relationship with yourself means that both parts of you are communicating. Both parts. What what both parts? Well, we we have our ego, that's a fact. We have our ego. We have our... We are products of our environment. But the product of your environment is what I would call your lower self. Your lower self. That's the part of you that is fearful and desperate. Lower self. But there is another part of you that I'm going to call your higher self. It's your essence. It's who you are in principle. It's the person that God made, not the person society made. God made you first before society then tried to mold you into its image. And that higher self is not fearful or desperate. That higher self is faithful and focused. So there's a side of you that has faith and that is focused. And there is a side of you that is fearful and desperate. Now, you need a relationship between these two sides, okay? You, you need to start communicating. And the relationship needs to be one where your higher self is the senior partner. And your higher self has a veto on some of the stuff that your lower self wants to do. hmm because without that relationship being good, and when I say good, I simply mean that your higher self is in charge. Without that relationship being good, then what you bring into a new relationship is a dysfunctional relationship that is going on in yourself. And what it will lead to is a set of unrealistic expectations are what I'm going to call fantasies. Fantasies. There's a difference between faith and fantasy. Did you know that? My gosh. Like there's the difference between destiny and delusion. There's a difference between faith and fantasy. Faith is, is you believing for what God said. Fantasy is you Believing for what you wish God said. So, actually, some people are going into a situation quite delusional with expectations of others that are unrealistic. I'm almost where I need to go. They're unrealistic because no one can fulfill those expectations. And the reason why no one can fulfill those expectations is because you are the only person in this world that can actually close that particular chapter. Because it's a conflict that is in yourself. No one is going to come and suddenly make you confident. Wish I had some help. No one's going to come and suddenly make you happy. You must understand that novelties wear off. Can I just be real with you? Novelties wear off. No matter how big the house you finally get... You will only ever be able to be in one room at a time. No matter how many couches you have in your big house, you will only be able to be able to sit in one at the same time. And whenever you get your dream car, within a few months, it's just going to be another car. Does that make sense? So when you move, so some people are not actually in love with a person. No, no, no. They are in love with the fantasy of getting married. It's almost like the old, it's almost like the old advert that says a dog is for life and not just for Christmas. Did you know that? (laughs) Remember that? Because people wanted a dog for Christmas. And there are some folks who actually want to be married for a photo op. For the wedding pictures. For the day. There is a difference between a wedding and a marriage. A wedding is a day, a marriage is a life. And therefore, if in fact, if in fact you're thinking about life, then you must understand that there is not another person that's going to fix what only you can negotiate inside of yourself. Your goal then is to negotiate it first and get victory first in this particular area. Who am I? Everybody say, who am I? This way. When you, as a single person, find confidence, peace, love, joy, happiness in yourself. And it's not happy with everything. Okay? Because we are got to be realistic. We're not, not happy with everything. But I am happy in myself. Is this making sense? Uh, because if you're not happy in yourself... Your belief is that this person is going to make you happy. If they don't make you happy, you spring back into the depressive state of complaining about everything. So it's now unfair for you to drag all of that into someone else's life you therefore have to resolve it in yourself because if you are happy when you come into a relationship you will bring that happiness into the relationship it will meet happiness that's in the relationship and the two of you will multiply to another level of happiness and that is the best case scenario can i hear an amen so i love myself i really do i love who i am in essence I love who I am in principle. I don't like everything about myself, but because I'm responsible, I am going to change those things. And the things that I can't change, I'm not only going to accept, I'm going to embrace them as a strategic advantage. What? You can't change your height, so love it. Don't just accept it. Say, this is an advantage. Big it up. Come on now. You cannot change your shade. Now, there are products on the market. I am not encouraging the use of those, uh, some of those products. You cannot change your shade. So since you can't change that, Not only should you accept it, you should love it. And actually make it something you're proud of. All right? Because you can't change that. But what you can change, you should decide to change. Because you're not really going to be happy outside of changing the things you can change. And the illusion that actually. I love me, warts and all. I just love everything about me. You know it's not true. There's no humility in it. (laughs) And some people are telling you outright, I am not going to change. How you see me is how you're going to get me. (laughs) I have a temper and you just need to know that before we start. Really? Because that's how God made me. No, he did not. No, that's not how God made you. (laughs) Okay? Am I wrong here? Did you get people like that who come into the the attitude, this is how I am. You accept me exactly as I am, or you're just not the one. You better pray you're not the one. (laughs) What you have to do, though, you have to consistently affirm who you are Even if you are at war with some of the things in your life that you don't like. You never give yourself the label. You never identify yourself with the thing you're trying to overcome. You identify yourself with the person who already has the victory. This is a generic principle of faith. And we'll close in a second. It's a generic principle of faith that works like this. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, he doesn't want you to call yourself a sinner anymore. He wants you to call yourself saved. He goes even further and says, call yourself righteous. He says, in fact, call yourself the righteousness of God. Actually, tell yourself that you are holy and that you are without blame and that you were made this way from the foundation of the world. He now wants you to talk about yourself in high terms because in your sense of identity, that's going to be the trajectory or the direction of your life. You're always moving in the direction of the person you see yourself to be. So God says, don't call yourself by the faults or the flaws, but call yourself by the revelation that I have given to you. Now, why is that important that you do that uh, and you do that even if you sin. So if you sin, you don't have... And you come to God and say, God, I'm just a sinner. But closed. Just look at the shop. Closed sign. He's not even listening. He's not listening. Because he didn't make you righteous because you were not sinning anymore. He made you righteous because Christ took all your sins onto himself, then paid for it with his own blood. And you believe that, therefore he calls you righteous. You must understand that faith speaks of things that are not as though they were. Faith talks about things the way that they are supposed to be. So it's important that you do that to yourself, to yourself. Say, look, I don't like this about me, but that is not me. It's very important. You don't turn around, don't look in the mirror and say, look at me, I'm fat, I'm... No, 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 no. You say, look, I'm an athlete and there's a few things I need to deal with here. You start to call yourself positive things. Don't put yourself down like that. Okay? You don't turn around and say, look look at me now. I'm broke. I'm busted. I got nothing. I ain't got... No, 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 no. You must not do that. The reason you must not do... This is my lesson. The reason you must not call yourself Benoni is that if you get in the practice of doing that yourself... Guess what? You're going to do to your partner as they come along and begin exhibiting humanity, normal, basic humanity. You're going to speak down instead of speaking up instead of being that parent that says you're bright and intelligent and you can do better you will be that bad parent who says you're stupid you're dumb and you're worthless and this unfortunately is what begins to happen in a relationship where someone does not have a good relationship with themselves to start with they don't know how to build you up because they have never practiced building themselves up and i need you to know I mean, I'm going to hit men, ladies, everything in this series. And this is purely just a setup. You know that there are exceptions to every rule, right? So if you are an exception to this rule, right? Cool. Write to me if you want to complain. Write, send the email to email.com. And hopefully I'll see it one day and I'll be able to respond. Okay. But for, for biological reasons, spiritual reasons, other reasons, men and women, we're different. If you don't believe we're different, then you can read the book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Or if you don't have time for that, just read the Bible, Genesis 1, you'll be fine. We're different. We're different. And one of the ways we differ is in our dominant need. Okay? Okay? The things that we all have the same needs, but men have dominant needs, and women have dominant needs. And it's generally agreed that for men, their dominant need in a relationship is to be significant or respected. Okay. So for and and for a woman, it's to be safe. Okay. Security. Now, if you're an exception, that's all cool. It's not a problem. But what you have to think about now is being with a man that doesn't make you feel safe. Like that. I don't like that. He's not there for me. He's not protecting me physically. He's not protecting me emotionally. He's not protecting me financially. I don't like that relationship. Is that fair to say? Oh, you do like it? Oh, no, you don't? No, you don't. Even if you're attracted to a thug, let me tell you something. Even if you're attracted to thugs, you know some women are attracted to thugs, right? And the reason they didn't marry you is because you're too nice. You know, you know all these stories, right? <laughs> you're too nice. And they're attracted to thugs. But even that on a biological level is because of the belief that he is so strong and so fearless that he will protect me from anyone that comes against me. And so I'm attracted to him until he turns against you because he is a thug. (laughs) Of course. It's obvious. obvious. He's a thug. That's what he's going to do. But just as surely as it's unbearable for a woman in the general sense to be with a man that makes her feel unsafe, it is unbearable for a man to be with a woman that makes him feel insignificant and worthless. This is unbearable. It is a, it's the same degree of unbearability, which means that he needs you to believe in him and not only to believe in him, but to respect him and to build him. Okay? Because everything's already pushing him down. He needs someone that builds him. And you won't be good at building a man if you actually haven't started building yourself. You see, if you can't put a difference between who you are and what you do, then you're not going to put that difference between who someone is and what they do. And actually, no one can encourage a man like his wife. It's just, it's just not. I mean, you know, you hear every sermon in the world. It doesn't matter. It's. I need you to believe in me. I can survive this if you believe. There, right? And of course, the opposite is true. No one can discourage him more than a wife who herself hasn't quite won this battle between Benoni Benjamin. Is that all right? Okay. Lift your hand up to the Father. Praise God. Hallelujah. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course we would love for you to visit or even to join But if that's not possible we can still stay in touch go to our website at www.icamcommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you until next time this is bishop wayne malcolm saying god bless you